Well, it's been a little while, but we are back. The Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast from Seattle to uh, from Seattle to Tokyo, I should say. And all points throughout history, my name is Jim Valley here in the Seattle area. I've been uh, gone, Fumi's been busy, but uh, here we are back again for you as we go across the Pacific Rim all the way to Tokyo, Japan. And one of the most respected journalists and historians, and once again, an author. We'll talk about his latest book, which is very timely. We'll get to that in just a moment, but let's say hello to my friend Hi. Fumi Saito. Hey, Fumi. How are you, sir? Hi. I am good. Uh, hello back- from Tokyo. Hello, I'm back from uh, Europe. I was gone for a week or so. Yeah, so I saw we were, your post on yeah. Facebook every day. <laughs> it's awesome, man. You need to go. It's a yeah. lot of fun. And then you were busy. Oh, yeah. It's hard. I mean, that's one of the challenges right. of this I show. I didn't realize we didn't have a show for a few weeks, you know. Yeah, but, it's been uh, like about 18 were days. Were you always obligated to have once a week, though? <laughs> I don't know. But this is a hobby, too, so. Yeah, well, it's a challenge with us because we're 15 hours apart, so it's my yeah, evening too. or it's your morning or it's your morning and my evening, vice versa, you know, and we... And this it, is my afternoon. Yeah, it's a challenge depending on the show, yeah. so it, it happens sometimes. So. I just got home from studio. I just finished SmackDown Live live. You know? Right, you do it on the zone <laughs> from, from Hampshire, which is yeah. the live stream for a SmackDown and Raw for WWE in Japan. Yeah, yeah, and there I did the voiceover on the Go Home show before the uh, Extreme Rules. So uh, let's let's do this just real quick. Let's touch base mm-hmm. on a couple of things since we uh, yes. we've been gone for a while. You were at the WWE shows in Japan, Japan yeah. in Sumo Live Hall. Japan. Uh, any yep. thoughts on those? Um, two things. It was very much routine house shows, you know, very much routine. It, they would have exact same show if you were in Hawaii or Tokyo or Singapore or Shanghai or Australia. They probably would have had, had a exact same show, you know. At the same time, something happened, you know, that the police dog bit you know Shinsuke Nakamura. You know a few few nights before that, so Shinsuke Nakamura did not work tour. You know did not have did not have a match in both you know either night. But he did show up with suit and tie with his crutch. You know, and uh, yeah, so he was part of the show. And AJ Styles and Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, they did something special for a little bit special for Japanese audience. You know, and different. You know. Because they, they of Japanese audiences familiar with them more so than other WWE, WWE superstars, right? And uh, on TV, Nakamura and AJ Styles still big enemy rival, right? So they weren't friendly at the house shows either, but they did exchange, you know, like a bowing, you know, because this is the way we used to work: bow to the crowd, bow to the, you know to each other and this is where we grew up and uh non-verbal you know no, no mic but uh all the gestures and then and, uh, body language you know would communicate with live crowd you know what's interesting in japanese is that the WWE japanese japan tour there is no japanese language whatsoever ring announcing introduction music everything all in english as if you are in somewhere in the states you know 
Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I can. I can hear you. But the the crowd follows yeah. most of it. Yeah, I think so. I think well, this is wrestling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so this can make you feel like it's like you are in somewhere, you know. It just happened to be in Tokyo. Happens to be in in a small palace, the building you know very well. But the entrance, music, lighting, you know, you know, sound effect, everything is just like the house shows from America. Now, um, the Sumo Palace shows, probably, yeah. I think a lot of people are crediting the fact that Nakamura was um, main eventing for the title against AJ Styles as being the draw that sold out, uh, I think for the first time, Sumo Palace in WWE history and a very fast sellout for WWE. Um, do you think the fact were that were they it, disappointed? You, yeah. Do you think they were disappointed? Well, not Nakamura. I mean, there's nothing. Well, you can, was you, there's nothing you can was, do about though. that. But the fact that it was just sort of a house show going through the motions and nothing special. Do you think that will affect the crowd in the future? I mean, you went out with people no, after not the at all. show. Were not they at all. were they disappointed? You know, you sh- sort of you show? have to look at you know, WWE tour is kind of like Walt Disney on ice. You know. The, what what was surprising was that the, they did not officially announce Nakamura's injury, or, or or therefore he will not be participating in the event tonight. Kind of thing. They did not make an official announcement. It was on social media. It was on the official the, the uh, other internet you know outlet you know platforms. But uh, they did not really officially announce. That the Nakamura won't be appearing in the show, therefore we will do the refund or anything like that. They did not do that, you know. It was treated that the Nakamura is kind of one of the cast in that mix, and one of the cast will be missing the show, therefore we'll have substitute, right? So treated like that. Then again, Nakamura shows up with suit and tie and kind of hosted the show, you know. He shows up and do the mic. And welcomes the crowd, you know, and I won't be working, but uh, please enjoy the show kind of thing, you know. If the main event wrestler, you know, the title match, AJ Styles against Nakamura, right? One participant is missing because of injuries, you know. They they normally they would have announced it or offer a refund or something like that. And none of those happen, you know, none of those happened. But at the same time, nobody made much noise, you know. And so it was, did I just, did I say Disney, Walt Disney on ice? You know, that uh, one of the cast just happened to be one of the cast. And uh, we'll, we'll give you a replacement, you know. And uh, nobody made fuss. And uh, it was really interesting. Uh, either Japanese audience are so polite about it, you know, nobody made fuss. Or um, WWE treated like, a, right, one of the wrestlers is missing and it will change, switch the card and uh, give you the replacement and no, no big deal. And for for the case of Shinsuke Nakamura, they would have had, you know, could have made a little bit more, you know, special kind of announcement or something, but they didn't either, you know. And it was kind of weird. But Nakamura did show up with suit and tie and uh, made his own announcement in Japanese in the ring with Mike. So I guess that made, you know, crowd happy too you know um japanese audience want to want them to treat their tour a little bit differently from any other overseas tours or something you know for this market you know but 
Yeah, I guess that was special enough, I guess. Yeah, I mean, given the, the competition with New Japan ramping up, you'd think that uh, WWE would do a few extra things, but I guess not. They, yeah, but they probably don't look at New Japan as a competition, at least on surface, you know. Um, if they obviously treat it like, you know, competition, it will become competition. But uh, WWE has no competition in wrestling. That's the, <laughs> that's their, you know, like a ground rule, number one, right? And, uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's I, different. Yeah. I remember, you know, I was yeah. living in uh, Portland, Oregon in the uh, early 2000s, and for the longest time, for probably close to a decade, WWE wouldn't come to Oregon because right. of the stringent drug testing. And finally, the legislature rolled back on a lot of the rules, and WWE came for the first time, and they sold out the arena there, like 18,000 fans. So, sure. I mean, a, a big Hungry crowd. Fun. A big yeah. crowd. I mean, particularly because yeah. at the time, they weren't really selling out. And with the, Who was on top at the time? Oh, uh, it was uh, Kevin Nash and Triple H. Kevin the, Nash, Triple H? For the world title. Uh. And, okay, okay. And uh, Chris Jericho was there and a few others. But, again, you know, a big deal, a huge show, and they just went through the motions. It was the exact same show that they probably... Like a routine show, yep, routine that, house show, that, anywhere else. Yep, they didn't even bother yeah. to do anything special. Uh, and I think the crowds, were, the house show crowds anyway, reflected it for for a long, long time, and I, I always thought oh, really? it was kind of a mistake. Yeah, I just felt like they did the same show that they probably kind of did. In, down. Yeah, they did in Seattle, or they did in Sacramento, or or Boise, or, or Boise wherever it was on the trip. Yeah, wherever it was on that particular tour, but I, I, I can kind of see your point. I think they probably should have done a little bit more uh, that night. They probably should have done a little bit more for, for Tokyo, uh, but we shall see. But at the same time, yeah, we shall see, because at the same time, you are dealing with WWE Universe. See, most of these crowds, in States too, but in, even in Japan, WWE Universe in Japan only follow WWE Wrestling. You know, it's really strange, but the, these, I don't look at them like a regular wrestling fan. They are WWE fans, you know? You know what the best and part they is? They want to be in, like, a, yeah. <laughs> The best part with the WWE fans in Tokyo and I guess Japan in general is the cosplay pictures. I love when. Ah, uh, yeah, there are so many of them. Oh there my are so gosh! Many of them. So many people dressed yeah, way up back as the when, characters. Yeah. yeah, way back when, like about a, it goes back a decade, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin and Rock and other people, Kane and all that, right? But now they got the girls dressed up like Alexa Bliss. They even had iconics already, you know, <laughs> you know, just a new character. They dress up as a new character, you know, just strange. So they are very new audience too, you know. I saw people. They only watch WWE. I saw some Nakamura's pictures of Nakamura's that had their leg bandaged. Yeah. For the dog attack. Oh yeah, already, already, yeah. yeah. I saw different, the... different kind of Nakamura, skinny one to little one, short one, fat Nakamura to you know all kinds of different Nakamura costume guys. Is he a bigger yes. star now? Um, yes, probably yes and no because they, they are not, 
when New Japan, you know, when he worked for New Japan, he had fans within New Japan crowd, right? But now that they are, are treated, like they look at Nakamura as part of the WWE superstar, you know, package. So they, Nakamura, the whole character of Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura, that uh, uh, what's uh, what's what's his title? <laughs> I don't remember. The, not the King of Wrestling style. No, the artist known as Shinsuke Nakamura is treated differently now. So uh, kind of like an American superstar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's Japanese, but he's being treated like part of WWE superstar package, like American superstar who happens to be Japanese much like baseball players who plays for you know major, major league baseball now you know like Otani so uh, let's talk about the other news uh, the San yeah. Francisco show the G1 show right G1 show in the uh, Cow Palace oh. Yeah, uh, Cow Palace, historical. Yeah, Cow Palace. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the storyline aspect first. What are your thoughts on uh, Tamatonga as a as a top guy in the breakup of the the Bullet Club? Right, almost like uh, yeah, uh, forming a new faction with Tamatonga and his you know his brother Tangalo and father Haku being a boss, you know. And uh, yeah, and all the white guys went with you know, <laughs> I don't want to say white guys are like a racist, but uh, you know, Kenny Omega and Cody Rose, Cody reunited at the end of the show with Kenny Omega's team and um, Young Bucks, of course, and Hangman Page and uh, guys like Chase Owens and all that. That the, all the white boys stayed with Bullet Club, and uh, Samoan guys. Uh, formed a new faction, then they look totally heel, right? And but uh, as a working aspect of it, yeah, actual main event caliber work, you know, who, who can work main event is only Tamatanga, you know. Tangaloa, his little younger brother, is not quite ready to be in that, you know, main event package. And Haku is different because, um, I don't know, this is like a see, new Japan world, new Japan fans today. Uh, much like WWE, WWE Universe, so they don't know Haku's history in Japan either. It's a little bit different, but at the same time, they will use Haku as a mouthpiece too. See, Haku speaks fluent Japanese, so he'll be doing the mic in Japanese from now on. Well, so is, this is a little bit different. Well, Haku was uh, started out as a sumo as, wrestler, as a sumo, so he's a sumo wrestler, early seventies. Yeah. You were talking about uh, he's a pretty big name to Japanese fans. He's seen as a star, traditional fans. But uh, you have to know Haku and, and and appreciate Haku as a like a Prince Tonga to a King Tonga to you know before Haku there he had three or four different identities you know. He started out with New Japan's young boy, you know, and uh, worked in Japanese side. And uh, when he was sumo wrestler, he came here when he was like 16 or 17. And then and, uh, he was living as a sumo wrestler and uh, learned the language and he speaks perfect Japanese, you know, a little bit different. And uh, But you have to know, you have to be over 45 or even 50 years old to even know his history in Japan. So they're a little different. But it looks to me though, New Japan wants to use Haku as a, your you know, new faction's mouthpiece, you know, that he will be the boss, you know, father and son combination, big heel, 
you know and uh and the direction they're going obviously that the tamatanga will be put in the top spot or close to the top spot or at least he'll be challenging iwgp title soon it looks to me yeah and obvious right yeah i think that's obvious and i think it's also obvious given japanese booking which we've talked about many times in the archives of the show that yeah. uh you know I, I don't think odds are good that he's going to be the next iwgp champion oh no i, I kind of don't think so right no. but i mean but it'll at be... the same time they'll have their run as a heel faction yeah it'll be interesting to see where he uh shakes out in the mix as uh we move closer to uh to other things happening if this is just a a blip, or if he's got the chops to stay on top, we'll face you. Um, yeah, we'll see. But obviously, this is his turn to do so. Yeah, and I, I, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think he could surprise us. We'll see what happens. Or um, at least he'll be the challenger for IWGP title for coming October's Sumo Palace show. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, might, it may not last all the way till next January's Tokyo Dome show. I don't think he'll be no. in the, the main event in Tokyo Dome show. No. But he'll be given a position to do the main event for the October big show. So you, you have, what, three months run? I don't know. Yeah, but then uh, we'll, we'll see if they bring him back for, for other things in 2019. Yeah, but the Tamatonga is New Japan wrestler. You know, under contract, and, and, and uh, he he'll stay. You know, with New Japan for a long time. So, uh, top position or not, he'll still be around. You know. Hey, uh, how about a guy that we like, both of us like uh, Jay White, the new United States, or uh, <laughs> not Jay White, um, uh, uh, Juice Robinson, Juice Robinson, the new oh, I'm United so States happy. champion. I'm so glad that they they gave him you know championship belt, and also realistically though. Um, I spoken with somebody from New Japan last night, you know, and uh, that now that the New Japan's Intercontinental title, it's, you know, Chris Jericho holds it, you know, and he won't be working many shows. And probably next time he'll be working in New Japan will be next January Tokyo Dome show, right? So re- practically, you are not going to have Intercontinental title around for, long, you know, for a while. So you IWGP US title is pretty important number two title now. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he seems like yeah. he's ready. Yes, yes. Uh, the, I hate his costume though, but uh, yeah, I hate his costume. But uh, um, work-wise, he was always a lot better than Jay White, you know. And uh, I'm glad he, you know, they've given him title. What are your thoughts on the whole issue with uh, Jim Ross and Josh Barnett and and them getting bumped and apparently by reports that wasn't part of the show that wasn't part of the plan? Was not? No, was not. Yeah, but there's always two ways to look at it. If they announced officially that it was not part of the show, it was part of the show. That's one way to look at it. Because okay. they want you to, th- yeah, they want people to think it was not part of the show. Therefore, it's a big deal. Well, something you know, must have happened because Jim Ross is in the hospital and he's been there for a while. Right. So maybe it maybe it was a plan that went awry. Or Jim Ross was going to the hospital anyway, so they used that. You know. Look at you, call it out the carnies. You, you could be right. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about a very. So uh, very... we can find out though. But uh, if he will be out, you know, then obviously, realistically, Jim Ross will be out of the show. You know, for ne- next 
I don't know, episode or next few months or three or six months or whatever. Or Jim Ross did not want to do this anymore. I don't know. You know? Well, let's talk about the uh, injury that is real and and very serious. Uh, Takahashi uh, with a a broken neck. Um, Yeah. A lot of people talking about maybe New Japan. Yeah, the style. And maybe New Japan is... uh, too snug, too uh, too serious of a style. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Um, but they are not trying to be dangerous, you know. This and nobody, none of the wrestlers, you know, would or try to hurt each other or anything. Obviously, that uh, what's his name, that that the Lee guy, uh, Dragon Lee. The spot was very very dangerous looking. Oh, God, it was like, scary looking, you know, you land your head first, you know. And uh, if you were Vince McMahon, you know, protocol is never do that move ever again, right? In New Japan, the same way, you know, obviously nobody should should purposely hurt anybody, you know. But uh, if there's a chance of hurting or getting injured, you should not be doing this, not necessary at all, you know. That uh, after that spot, you know, much, lot, a lot of debate, you know, here and there, you know, it came up that uh, uh, style, you know, Japanese style is not as dangerous as it looks. You know, it's snug. But if you involve any risk factor, that you should not even be doing that way. You know, no, that uh, let's not go that way because it's not necessary. You know, there was a spot during uh, Kenny Omega. Cody Rose that Kenny Omega was going to powerbomb Cody threw right outside the ring onto the table but didn't throw him long, you know, far enough that uh, <laughs> Cody Rose's back of the head hit the part of the table it didn't land, it didn't even break the table, it's even more dangerous right? But thing is he would get up and try to finish the match, you know what I'm saying? Because there were five more spots to go, right? Yeah. But uh yeah, obviously, WWE style is a lot more famous. Sometimes the kick or punch don't even connect, but you take safe bump. That's one way to do it. But uh, Japanese style tradition has been pretty snug, right? But there was not much in this kind of injury before either. You know, let's say original Sayama Tiger Mask against Dynamite Kid. Revolutional style back then, right? But, uh, yeah, well, Dynamite Kid hurt himself over the years, you know, because of his style. But not one spot that was, like, to end his, you know, career, like, very dangerous spot. They tried to be creative and did it and hurt somebody. It was not like that, you know. So, uh, oh, that this style issue always, you know, would be the uh, big issue in Japanese style or... Japanese wrestling viewed by American audience, which is different, but the understanding is, you know, like the way the you know, American audience understand the spot is different too, because you American audience assume Japanese style is more dangerous. It's not necessarily more dangerous though. The spot was dangerous, you know, but uh, I don't think Dragon Lee would purposely hurt you know takahashi takahashi and, and dragon lee were good friends you know i mean because they're a good friend they had the program 
Do you think that we'll see any changes in New Japan? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Because by doing this in this kind of pace and people hurting right and left, that the, you will have shortage in, 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 the, in, in, in the talent roster. Plus, it is not necessary to do this way, you know? And uh, what, what was, you know, another issue, you know, would be that Takahashi got up and finished the match, right? You know, sometimes if if you got hurt, you should just, fin you know, stop referee or somebody should stop the match right then, you know? Boys wouldn't stop the match. You want to finish the match, right? And because uh, they want to have perfect match. All the guys do. But uh, hurting or getting hurt is not necessary at all. And, uh, yeah, something has to be done about this. Yeah, I, I feel that way strongly. So, I mean, yeah. So let's talk about uh, what you've been doing with your time. You've been, I didn't even know this. <laughs> you didn't even what? tell me that uh, you've got a, uh, book? you've got a brand new book out. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, because I, I did not want to tell you until I'm done. I mean, completely finished this 250-page book, you know. Uh, I was writing, you know, last three months, you know, for 30-year memorial for Bruiser Brodies. Um, the book deal was done, a deal was signed, like, uh, three years ago. You know, it was, like, a 2015. We'll, we'll have book out on summer of 2018, which will be thir exactly, exactly 30 years from... Brody's death. It was 1988, July 17th, Brody passed away. And this summer is 30 years. And uh, this summer, you know, people will be talking, you know, talking about Brody a lot. And in fact, they do now, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, I realized that though, it was exactly 30 years ago, right? If you were 40, 45 years old, 30 summers ago, you were 15. So either you were ninth grade or beginning of 10th grade, right? And uh, it's, it's a long time ago, you know, but the, how people remember that day, where were you when you heard that news kind of thing? Are you with me? Yes. Yeah, because kind of like the day, oh, this is Barbara Goodish, Ms. Goodish, and you and I talked about on, on this program. Episode number 25. We did it a month ago. Thank you very, okay, thank you very much. Just like the day John Lennon died or the Kurt Cobain, you know, Kurt Cobain killed himself or the princess, Princess Diana got killed in car accident, you know. People remember a certain date. Like, when I heard that news, I was there doing this, or you know, remember the exact day. And Brody's death was such the summer, July 17th, 18th in Japan. It was Monday. Monday morning, a lot of wrestling fans, or the regular people too, because it was on regular news, or regular newspaper, like real newspaper. Monday morning, eight, July 18th, eight, 1988, Everybody in Japan remember that morning. Remember that morning. Did you hear? Did you hear Brody died? Did you hear Brody died? Then you remember where you were. So that's how you relate, relate to this topic. And people do remember. 
people do remember Brody and such a such a fun memory. Although he was a heel, but not quite the heel, but the top star, you know, and one of the very few superstar who worked both Jan Baba's old Japan and Anthony Inoki's new Japan. It was rare at the time. Only handful of people, you know, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, Andre the Giant, Abdul the Butcher, Tiger Zit Singh. That's about it. You know, the American international superstar who worked both big companies. Jumping big companies back then was like a changing network, you know, television channel, you know. Um, Bruiser Brody was a superstar from Channel 4, NTV. And the jump to Inoki's, you know, New Japan, meaning he'll be appearing Channel 10, TV Asahi. And TV Asahi, Sports News, um, announced it. When Bruiser Brody signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling, he'll be appearing for World Pro Wrestling on Channel 10, telev- you know, TV Asahi. It's like, wow, kind of like a Major League Baseball player switch a team or something. You know what I'm saying? Right. Then, yeah, then two summers later, he goes back to Old Japan. And I started walking back with all Japan. Then he got the international heavyweight title before it was triple crown, you know. Brody died before. We see, we have different, um, see, in, in Imperial Era, you know, uh, years. That the 1988 was Showa Emperor's last year. And Heisei Era starts in 1989. He did not even see this Imperial year. He he died within Showa era, you know. So this is this was really symbolic too. So he was a wrestler from Showa era instead of Heisei era. See, we have imperial years, and a lot of things because uh, it's connected to Japanese culture too. And uh, yeah, some Brody is somebody that we have to you know keep legacy. And like I said, anybody younger than forty-five years old don't really know Bruiser Brody. It's amazing, these WWE Universe in Japan, they don't know Brody. Everybody should know something about Brody. So I, I feel that the, I am responsible that we gotta you know, tell this you know, Bruiser Brody story and you know, share this, his legacy and what he meant, how um, influential figure he was in wrestling and uh, yeah, all these things i feel that uh by writing this book younger i i want younger generations japanese wrestling fans to read it you know he was one of the very few wrestlers who had you know title program at a very important single match um program with both inoki side and baba side you know what i'm saying nobody does that anymore well inoki's not around baba's not around either but uh the landscape and the whole, you know, perception of wrestling has changed since, you know. The New Japan Pro Wrestling we just talked about is not Anthony Inoki's New Japan. Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Noir, Old Japan today, it's not Jan Baba's Old Japan. It's same name, same logo, but run by different people. You know, it's a different era. But so, we still, yeah, have to learn, know about, you know, I want people to know about Bruiser Brody. And no. his legacy. The book is in Japanese. Yes, <laughs> no, but, obviously. But uh, but talk about the book. I mean, is it is it his biography? Is it about his career? 
Uh, talk, uh, talk about what's, uh, where the, do you come the, from the, in the, the book? The prologue, prologue that the very, very introduction was like, uh, where were you in the morning of July 18th, Japanese time? Where were you when you heard that news? And then how we, you know, it uh, goes back to a morning chaos of our weekly progressing magazine editing office that uh, that week's issue was all, you know, almost 99% magazine was done that day. Then uh, there was a fax. People don't know facts now, huh? But the back then, you and I, you and I know facts. But uh, that morning of 18th, July 18th, 1988, a piece of letter, a fax, came from All Japan Progressing Office. Mr. Bruce Brody has passed. What? Right? Then uh, in that, that very morning, that the weekly progressing's editing office uh, among big chaos, we had to change the, that the feature, um, that the article, and we had to. We were able to change the front cover of the magazine. It was going to be different cover, but the, we switched that last minute into Brody's picture, and. Uh, different, you know, byline and a title and a copy and, and uh, everything had to change in one afternoon. And uh, we, I wrote about that. Then I went back to 1946, uh, June, that the, that the, where he was, Union City, Pennsylvania, he, Mr. Frank Goodish was born and his youth and his football days in high school to uh, Southwest, uh, uh, you, you know, Texas University days and uh, all the way to wrestling days. Then I uh, reproduced all my interviews I did with Bruce Brody between 1985 to 1988. I did many interviews, you know. So I reproduced that, you know, old interviews, 30-year-old interviews that I, I had written in a Japanese magazine. So I reproduced that. And an um, interview article I've written 30 years ago with, um, right after Brody's death, I did interviews with Jimmy Snuka, Abdul the Butcher, and Stan Hansen, and Barbara. And I reproduced that one in this book. Then uh, one chapter I uh, dealt with what had really happened that day in Puerto Rico. As much as I can, you know, gather, I wrote that. Then last chapter, I um, I listened to my cassette tape from 30 years ago. You know, there there were parts that I did not, you know, this is like a part of the cassette tape. You know, Brody's voice. You don't write everything in interview, right? So there was a part that I left out, and he had talked about very important things. He was Brody was saying that the I am well aware that that I will be forgotten. 20 or 30 years from now, in talking 1985, 1988 though, like 30 years from now, meaning it's already passed, but uh, <laughs> you know, Brody talked about when I'm seven years old, but that's already a past. When Brody, 1946 is a year he was born, so he's a seven year, it would be year 10, you know, 2006 or something, right? 2016, it's already passed. But the Brody back, the, you know, in 30 years ago, he talked about in the future tense, you know, sense that 30 years from now, 
there's going to be another big long hair guy who's big body like mine and the dude 10 times as much as I do and uh, people will be watching that guy on television and that guy will be the star and the bruiser Brody will be forgotten and I'm well aware of that no I have not forgotten Brody but uh, Brody back in 1980s did talk about future isn't that interesting and a long hair, big guy like him could be Undertaker today. Could be Rome, somebody like Roman Reigns. You know what I'm saying? The guy, you know, was big guy, good looking, big wrestler with long hair, and the and the, the guy is a big superstar for television. And, and, and a new wrestling fan will be watching that guy, and nobody will ever know Bruce Brody ever existed. That's not true, but the Brody was talking like that. Yeah, so I, uh, I had I had this cassette tape, you know, and I sat and listened to this old cassette tape, you know, over and over again. And uh, ah, this part of this conversation I did not write. So for the first time, um, the the part of the cassette tape, audio tape that I left out, I wrote that again this time. Exciting. Will there be uh, presentations? Or, uh... And also, uh, back to this book, there's a URNO that, uh, um, that uh, website address that we created that uh, you can go over there and download that 45-minute conversation between Brody and I. It's on it right now. You can go over there and download, and you can listen to this 45-minute conversation between Brody and I. Okay, um, are you going to put In the English. link on your Twitter? You should put the link on your Twitter. Uh, we could do that. I could do that. Or yeah. send it to me and I'll put it on my Twitter or we'll do both. Okay, okay. Or put yeah, it on actually, your, put you it on can, your it's, Facebook it's or on, something. It's, yeah, yeah, it's on the internet. I mean, it's uh, it's up there now. All you have to do is download it. If you, This was a gift for somebody who already bought the, you know, bought the book. Okay. book is out today. And uh, this is a QR code that uh, you know that little, oh, okay. little QR code that uh, you put your smartphone over it and the smartphone read it and uh, guide you to a certain you know uh, website address and you go over there and push certain thing and you can download the you know t- audio part of it and you can listen to it. <laughs> but you can do it though technically already without buying books, you know. Okay. Yeah, I want the world to you know this. I mean, my English will be is horrible, but the, you, the point is, you listen to the Brody's, you listen to Brody's voice. You yeah, know, from thirty years ago, he's so, talking about. His so just future. to be clear, we can you can access we can access the link. We'll give the link out, or not. Yeah, I will do that. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Okay. And you put that on uh, either Twitter or your Facebook page. We'll do and it all. You, yeah, you don't. You almost don't have to. This, this QR code could be domestic in Japan. Okay. But if you do have UR, you know, URL, yes. that, uh, the website address, you can actually go there and download it, and you can actually listen to Brody's voice. 45-minute conversation, though. You know what I mean? And uh, so it's, I would say it's a treasure. And also I want to share this audio tape as many people as possible. You know, I'm not saying I did it and I'm great or anything. No, I'm very humbled that uh, 
I was able to sit down with Bruce Brody and have this conversation. And I still have the cassette audio tape. And it doesn't do any good if it's sitting in my you know, office that I would like to share this you know, audio tape with as many people as possible. Make any sense? Makes sense to me. Um, oh, will the good. book come out in English at any point, do you think? I haven't thought about it. Somebody should be doing it for me. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I just finished the book and I'm so I'm like, a, I'm so the, tired. What know? is the title? For those of us who don't read the Japanese, what's the title? Um, Bruza Brody. Return of Brody 30 years. And yeah, uh, but- he has returned. And by the way, if you're listening and you have not heard our interview with his widow, Barbara Goodish, it is episode 25 in our archives. I'm very grateful that that, that we were able to do that. And you know, uh, sit down we'll, and, we'll definitely yeah, share yeah. that again as uh, the anniversary. Yes, please. So we're going to wrap up this edition of the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. We're having some connectivity issues. So we will reconnect next time and talk about the late, great Adrian Adonis, who has been dead now for 30 years. It's the 30th anniversary of his death over the July 4th weekend. And uh, we will talk about him because Fumi knew him very well. As a matter of fact, when Fumi was first starting to become a reporter and a journalist, Adrian Adonis was one of the first people who talked to him. Uh, He went to his home in California. We'll talk about that. And uh, if you only remember Adrian Adonis for his effeminate gimmick in WWE, then you have got a a lot to learn because he was one of the most dynamic performers from his era. So we will talk about that and more. Plus, we still have some t-shirts to give away. I'm sorry, but with the connectivity issues, we will do that next time. So uh, be sure to listen to Bruiser Broad if you want to. It's in the archives, episode number 25. And for Fumi, I'm Jim Valley. And for this time only, so long from Seattle.